the American Theatre Wing, and the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts bring you the American Theatre Wing's Guide to Careers in the Theatre. This session, The Playwright. I'm Ted Chapin, and with me today is Edward Albee, one of America's foremost playwrights. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Uh, since this is a program about how-to, I thought I'd start with the basic question, how does one become a playwright? Uh, the answer is sad. <laughs> one is born a playwright. Uh, there are all kinds of creativity. Some people are born poets, some people are born novelists, some people are born uh, playwrights, some are born sculptors, painters, composers. Some people are even born Republicans. <laughs> uh, I can't, I teach playwriting. I run playwriting workshops. And I choose my own students. They submit scripts and I choose them. And I can tell very, very quickly by reading a play, whether it's been written by somebody who is a natural playwright or somebody who has been taught how other playwrights write. Now is the, is and I, I always turn down the ones that, that aren't playwrights, the ones that have been taught how other playwrights write. So, so what, another way of saying that is that you, you can find a voice even if the technique is sloppy? Of course. I'm much more interested in that, that, that germ of creativity that, that, that identifies a playwright uh, than I am in, in highly polished imitative scripts. Yeah. You know, so many people who are novelists write a play and think that they can become playwrights, and they're lousy playwrights usually, and, and most playwrights write lousy novels, Beckett being the exception to all of this. <laughs> But uh, I think it's being in any of the arts and practicing any of the arts has to do with what your eyes and your mind and your ears tell you about consciousness. Oh, I think. Do, do you feel that, that a play starts with an idea? Does it start with a concept? Does it start with characters? I find that unless you're a highly didactic playwright who says, now I must write a play about this or that, and you can usually tell these plays because they're, they're rather cumbersome, a play begins in the unconscious, and so you don't really know what, what, what begins it. Very, very seldom have, have I known why I'm suddenly thinking about writing a play. Obviously, part of my mind has made all the decisions that I'm going to write a play about some things before I'm aware of it. Well, that's great. Now, you, you teach you, you, at, in Houston, right? Mm -hmm. At, at the, the University of Houston. And you've been doing that for, for a, a number of about years. About 15 years now, uh -huh. 13. I love the quote in, in the, the biography of you that, that you teach to learn. But when you get those, I assume that in an in academic situation, you have to be a teacher of those playwrights that who you don't think are playwrights as well no, as those. No, not at all. One of the conditions that I made when I took the job, well, I made a couple of conditions, uh, only two of which concern us. Uh, one was I only wanted to teach the spring semester because that's the only uh, decent weather in, in, in Houston. And B, that I wanted to choose my own students. I wanted to teach and work with only those that I thought, A, were playwrights, incipient playwrights, messy playwrights, beginning playwrights, whatever, but the, really were playwrights, had the playwright's mind. Um, that was my second concern, that, that I get to teach them. And with the problem here is every autumn, I, I get a huge box of half the size of this table filled, filled with scripts, and I have to read. Can you? Take us through some... Only some of which are written by playwrights. Oh, right. Well, the, those novelists, <laughs> those nascent novelists yeah. trying early. Mm -hmm. um, can you take us through some specifics of when, when you decide to take on a student as a teacher now? Um, and obviously, I mean, I assume everyone is slightly different, but is there a process? Is there, a, a, is there any kind of 
basic process that you would take a student through? Well, you see, the, the playwrights, the, the young playwrights, usually young, are uh, in such different stages uh, of their awareness of, of their playwriting hood. <laughs> uh, when I take them, some of them have just written eight or ten pages, and am I a playwright? And there they are, yes, they are a playwright. And others have written two or three or four plays. So I can't really, it's hard to generalize there. What we do in, in I have two classes. What we do in, in, in the first is, no, in the second class, those playwrights who I think have written a play that is ready to be seen on stage. Uh, we do, because uh, we have a very good school of theater at the University mm -hmm. of Houston, a lot of actors, and Peter Hall teaches directing there, which is, which is, which is pretty good whenever he shows up. Right. <laughs> He's a very busy guy. Right. <laughs> uh, we do full productions of, of five or six of the plays every, every spring. And the other 10 or 12, we sit around and we, and, and we discuss practical matters uh, about playwriting, using as reference to the plays that, that they have submitted mm -hmm. uh, to get into the course. And of course, all the students have to reach e read each other's plays and try to be honest about their reaction to each other's work and try to be honest about uh, other people's reaction to their work, too, right. which is not easy. Right. Do you direct some of the plays that the playwrights have done? I supervise. But do you choose the directors? I choose the directors. I try to fit the directors with the plays I think that they will be most sympathetic to. Because one of the th things that I heard you say the other day that, that, that I want to work toward, I don't think I want to deal with this now, is, is, is that you grew up in an era when your producers understood that the playwright was the boss, or the right. most important thing. And, and I, I think part of what I want to get to is, does every playwright deserve that at all stages of their career? Every playwright deserves the opportunity to be treated fairly. <laughs> in a collaborative, you know, and, in a collaborative well, you know, fashion. Yeah, but the, 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 the theater does begin with the word. Uh, the, the literary arts begin with the word. It begins with the play. And the collaborative aspect of playwriting is after the play is written. It has nothing to do with, with, with the creation of the work of art. It has to do with translating it from a complete work of art on the page that's a, to a complete work of art on the stage. That's a, I think it's a very important point because, mm -hmm. I mean, a, a painter paints by himself and then he puts it out there and it's done. You can react yeah, to but it. Some, there are some dealers who, who say, now you, you shouldn't show this one I'm, 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 or that one would be better upside down or stuff like that. There right. some, you run in, in, into commercial problems. But the creative act is a solo act. Right, I think that, and a, and a wonderful one when it, mm -hmm. when it works. But how does anybody know whether they're a playwright? Intuition, <laughs> practice. But do you find, I'm trying to get some generalities, when a young playwright submits a play to you at Houston that you are interested in, mm -hmm. do you tend to think it's the characters that interest you or that you can have? It's, no, what interests me is the mind. At work. At work, the mind that uh, creates these characters and puts them in these situations and tries to get them out of the dilemmas uh, that the playwright has put them in. That's what interests me. See, and the, the, I mean, the idea of you being a teacher is so fascinating because you, you, from my standpoint as a theater goer, your plays cover an entire spectrum of plays that well, have all kinds of different. You know, I get so many scripts. I get a lot of uh, screenplays, which I can't teach because I don't think it should be taught. Um, have you ever done one? No, of course not. So let somebody else deal with it. Yeah. Um, some plays that, I, that get submitted to me, uh, obviously the, the person who wrote them, I won't call them a playwright necessarily, the person who wrote them has learned how other people write plays and has learned to imitate right and left, and I don't care about those. But see, that's interesting, but isn't, isn't there an aspect of, of all art that people start imitating that which they know? There's a difference between 
being an imitator for the sake of being an imitator and learning from your, your, your predecessors and your betters by imitation, by appropriation, by various other things. As, as they say, bad, bad writers borrow and great writers steal. Of course, <laughs> sure. Bad writers borrow. I tell, I tell my playwriting students, don't be a self-conscious primitive. You should know the entire history of playwriting. You should know what everybody else has done. You should familiarize yourself by seeing and, and by reading, especially reading all the plays from the Greeks right on up, up, up to the present. Uh, and so can you usually tell that, that a playwright has a voice if they've done that study and the ones who tend to be imitative are ones who may have only read six plays? Or no, what? there are some people, well, it's very interesting. August Wilson, who was not a bad playwright. Not bad? He gave an interview in uh, The New Yorker. There was a piece about him in The New Yorker a few weeks ago in which he says that he has seen very, very few plays in his life. Other than his own, well, other than his own, I was yes. going to say. Oh, yes. One yeah, assumes yeah, yes, he's seen. Well, that would that would uh, keep him. Do you do you as a as a teacher? Do you see that in his plays? Uh, well, I th I have a little problem with his sense of time. I think most of his plays are a little too long. But then again, I think most plays are a little too long. Oh, I agree with you. <laughs> but you think that if if he perhaps opened opened up to seeing a lot more, he might. I don't know. He's made a choice. Yeah, no, I, and I, I admire mm -hmm. him. I have, mm -hmm. absolutely. But I, I do remember a casting director once, priding, a theater casting director priding herself on never watching television or movies, which I thought sounded a little provincial to me, but, uh, mm -hmm. but I can, I can un understand that. Um, did, did you have great teachers? I was uh, adopted into a wealthy family that sent me to very good private schools. And so I started writing when I was very, very young. I started writing poetry when I was eight, perhaps, or nine. And two novels in my teens and a three-act sex farce when I was 12. Just because you felt doing it? You just yeah, I was, I was a writer. I knew I was a writer. I didn't really figure out that I was a, what I really was was a playwright until I was 29, aside from that three-act sex farce. Right, right, right. Which has been seen or never? Uh, no, no. I think my mother threw it away. Oh, how dare she? <laughs> my first critic. <laughs> that may be fairly But she good. didn't stop. I mean, if she did throw it away, she didn't stop you. Well, no, she was like uh, most parents try to discourage creativity in the young right away. It, right. It, be it, a lawyer. It, it, yeah, be a lawyer. Be, be, be a doctor, you know. But your, the family was in show business. No, they weren't. Well, you know. Well, they, they'd been involved in, in the management of vaudeville theaters. It had nothing to do with, with, with performance or anything. It's very interesting. Most young people, by nature, are creative. Creativity in the very young is wonderful. You see the, these uh, exhibits of, of, of paintings and drawings by third, fourth, and fifth grade students, and they're extraordinary work. It, 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 they look like the work of, of major 20th century artists with, without any intention of, of imitating. Kids are invent naturally uh, creative, I think. It, it's beaten out of them by well-intentioned parents and, and uh, um, impatient teachers. It's a shame. So and I, 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 every spring, I go down to Sarasota, Florida, there is, is in Florida, in the public schools of Florida, a playwriting program in the public where young kids, from the beginning, the, the minute they go to, to secondary school, they're encouraged to write. And every, every May at the theater in Sarasota, Florida, 112 plays, short plays, by kids from the age of, of, of six to, uh, to 18 uh, are, are, are performed. Well, have you seen? Do you, I've do seen a lot of them, and they're wonderful. They're beautifully creative. Now, not all these kids are going to go on and be playwrights. 
but uh, a lot of them could, I think. But do you encourage them at that point? Of course. Yeah. Of course. I try to encourage their parents also to let them do what they need to do and find out the nature of their creativity. Do, do you think that, that part of encouraging young playwrights is to prevent them from from becoming more sophisticated to, in, to their own disadvantage? Or I don't know if I've said that right. I, d I don't know that uh, true sophistication is, is a problem in this country. <laughs> yeah, leave that one, I guess, and go on. But because I know you, I mean, you, you did go, to, as you said, to, to some fancy schools. Um, yeah, well, they were, they were good schools. I guess they were fancy, but, but they were good. And I had some good teachers who encouraged my ludicrous forays in, 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 into prose writing and, 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 and poetry and all the rest. And, and my interest in classical music, which is very important for a young playwright to know a good deal about classical music, by the way, a great deal, very important. That's a good point. Uh, they encouraged uh, my uh, sillinesses, and I'm very grateful they did. And when you, when you had your first play produced, because I also want to ask about your, your students, how does, if, if, say for example, Somebody's gone through your, your program at, at Houston or gone through your, your classes and there's a play that you think is wonderful and mm -hmm. it's been produced there and it's been done wonderfully well. What's the next step for that playwright? The next step for that playwright is to find somebody in the so-called professional theater <laughs> who is interested in having something to do with the play. And I encourage the playwright. I, I, the first thing that any, any writer must do the minute he's written the piece is have it copyright. Right. before it's shown or, or to anybody. That's a very important Very thing. important. Copyright your work instantly before anybody sees it. And then send it out to theater groups that you think are sympathetic to the kind of work that you do. It's the only way to do it. But do you also, as a teacher, do you, can, can you call places that have done Albee plays and say, I think you should do a Schwartz play because he's a wonderful... I, I, I can help push from time to time, if I, if, and, and uh, I, I, I have, sure, of course. Yeah. Well, because I think, I mean, it is a community, and I think that, you mm -hmm. know, that's, that's, that's not to be denied. That, that, you know. Yeah, look, uh, I have to take a total of 16 students every spring. Uh, there are not 16 playwrights writing in the United States who are any good. <laughs> well, you come right down there aren't to There are 16 it. playwrights in, well, in, in the world, maybe, who, <laughs> in who, who are any good. And so I have to take some who are, who are less interesting than others. But my one standard is this person is creative. This person thinks creatively and thinks like a playwright. Now, this is something that I can intuit. There, there's nothing that goes on the page. There's no way the words are put down aside from the mind of the playwright that indicates to me that this person by nature is a playwright. Not, a, not an accomplished one yet, not a complete one, a stumbling, right. but a true playwright. With something on his mind, soul, heart, something mm -hmm. that, that says, and you yes. can encourage that. Sure. Have you ever gotten to a point as a teacher where you've said, I don't think that character should die in the third act and the, and the, the, or whatever, and the playwright says, oh, no, 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 that character must the die? The most important bit of advice I, I give to young, you know, my young playwriting students is, uh, in your first play, you will probably have, if you're a young male playwright, say, you will probably have a character who you will describe as, if you're 26, the character will be 25 or 27. Uh, and you will describe the character as being good-looking in a plain way. <laughs> and this character almost invariably will be called Tom. <laughs> Shades of Tennessee Williams, right, right, of course. Right. And this character is not the lead character of the play, but an important secondary character. He is your spokesman, the playwright's spokesman, 
And somewhere toward the end of the play, all of the action skids to a terrible halt, and Tom has a long speech <laughs> in which he explains what has happened, why it has happened, what it all means, and probably what is going to happen. I tell my playwriting students, please, cut that speech. And if you're really brave, get rid of Tom. And do they? Most of the time, yes, they do. But that's, I mean, I think that's a very, very interesting insight. I mean, it is humorous, but at the same time, you know, what, what I hear from that is that, is that the people to whom you're even having that, with whom you're even having that conversation, have enough on their minds to, to think that, that there's something to say. Yes. As, as simple I as... Because I don't take people who I don't think, think like playwrights. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that, that's wonderful. Um, are, are there styles of plays that you find come across your desk? That are, we that we you... are a naturalistic society in, in our theater. We tend to be less happy at, uh, at, at experimental plays than we do at kitchen sink naturalist drama. We, uh, and so the majority of plays that we come across are, are, are naturalistic plays. Mm -hmm. um, you know... Um, You've written some, although they... I've written they, a few naturalistic <laughs> plays. Well, There's always know, a twist the, or two in there. The, the illusion of naturalism, right. <laughs> of course. Because uh, theater is absolute artifice, no matter how nat natural it is, as we know. But, uh, no, you don't get too many uh, experimental plays in, in that huge crate. Do, do you find, as a playwright, that you've gotten inspired in your teaching? Has some idea occurred to you that... Well, I, I, it is true. I teach only, basically, I, to learn stuff, because every, every play that I work with, by a young playwright, presents different dramatic problems that either have been solved or, or have to be solved. And so it, it's not just doing the same old stuff over and over again. Each play is an individual experience and, and has its own dilemmas and its own solutions. And that's the interesting part. I learn a great deal from both having to work with, with 15 or 16 different plays each year, and also when you, when you teach, uh, you, you discover sooner or later that you're saying things that you didn't know you knew. <laughs> that's great. And that's nice, too. The only problem with that is you can get into sort of a routine. that You know there's some things that you're supposed to say. And I have found once or twice <laughs> over the years that I get into the middle of a paragraph that, that I've said many times before to my students, and right in the middle of the paragraph I'm saying to myself, this isn't true anymore. You don't believe this anymore. And do you stop yourself? And well, I have to find some way to get out of that paragraph. <laughs> so you don't look like you have Mr. No, teaching. Really, I, I think learning by teaching is very important. I mean, I think, I, I think that's, that's... Clarifies the mind. Yeah, and, and also... I also tell my students, by the way, you should listen to a Bach fugue every morning before you start writing. That no, really clarifies the mind. Now, how, how, how far are you willing to, class, to, to put the lines on classical music? You said that playwrights should learn classical, learn classical I, music. I, I say classical music because I find that the forms and structures of, of dramatic shape are more closely related to the sonata allegro form, to the, classic, to the classical musical structures uh, than, than romantic music uh, that, and also than so-called popular music. See, I think, that, I think that's, that's vital because, you know, form, form and structure is there whether it appears not to of be course. there. Of course, it has to be there. And, uh, you know, you write, you're writing along a play, and I, whenever I'm writing a play, uh, I think that I'm writing a piece of music. I'm, if it's a four-character play, I think I'm writing a string quartet. 
Well, see, I think that I think that that's great. I remember when when I read the, the reviews of the play about the baby. Mm -hmm. And since the uh, the sandbox was the first play I ever directed, you were kind enough to give my father a letter saying I could do it without royalties, which I think I had already not realized there were royalties I did. to be I, paid. I, I must have been mad. I think you were, but I think it was over <laughs> the, it, the the time has had passed. But I, I remember that the, 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 there's a there's a character in there who who's a jazz musician. Mm -hmm. And I remember as a well, as it's a not kid, a jazz musician. Well, he no, I made it a jazz musician. He is I a musician. I know because you didn't pay attention to the fact that there was a score written for that play. No, I got the score and couldn't make head or tail out of oh, it, to I be see. truthful. Really? <laughs> yes. Uh -huh. But How I was uh, 12 or 13 oh, or something. Oh, okay. That's all right. Uh, no, but I just, I mean, it's interesting that, that in, in one of your very f first plays, a musician is there. Mm -hmm. And I had a composer friend of mine, Bill Flanagan, right. who was a very good composer, write a specific score because I wanted the music to be one of the characters in the play. Which is great. Are there other plays of yours that have? No, that's the one. I made that experiment. No, oh, that, that, and you did write the libretto for one musical, or came into no. Well, I wrote uh, half of libretto for an opera, a one-act uh, opera based upon Melville's Bartleby, because the librettist uh, had a nervous breakdown or something, and I had to finish the piece. Did you uh, I, I, I was conned into doing some reconstructive work on a musical on its way to Broadway, and I managed to turn it in just a few weeks from a, a, a mediocre six-month musical to something that closed before it opened. Would you um, advise against doing something like that to a young playwright? What do you mean? If, uh, if an opportunity came up, if somebody, uh, you know, a, a young playwright is given an opportunity to do something which I looks doomed one, on its surface. One of the other things I tell my young playwriting students is you should know every aspect of the theater. You should look at directing. You should think about directing all the time. You should familiarize yourself with the possibilities of set design, costume design, and lighting design, because all of this stuff is going to affect the way your play looks once it's off the page and once it's on the stage. And you have a responsibility to be able to talk coherently to the craftspeople in the theater. That's a good point. You better know it. I mean, the more you have the vernacular, the easier that conversation can be. Mm -hmm. What motivated you to direct your own work? Because I realized that since I, when I write a play, this is helpful to, to, to young playwriting students, I think, because not everybody does it, which shocks me. When I'm sitting at my desk writing a play, I see it and I hear it as a performed play in front of me while I'm writing it. So I am the audience for the performed version of the play that, that I am writing it while, while I am writing it. And that saves me an awful lot of time. I don't have to rewrite anywhere near as much, because I can tell whether a scene is, is, is holding my attention or not. Do you have actors in your mind? No, 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 no. I have, I have characters. Characters. So it's, it, it, I don't think any playwright should write with certain actors in mind. Have you ever? No, because you would write a role rather than a character. That would be a bad thing. Interesting to do. that the musical theater seems to have a lot of roles that were written for specific, but well, maybe they're well, not. The majority of musical theater is, is, is manufacture. Let's not talk about the majority of musical theater. No, let's not. Let's not. But, but there, there's, there's, it's a collaboration of a kind that is more, less solitary than playwriting, certainly. Of course it is, yes. 
Well, of course, you have composers and book writers. And, and they're in the room with you when you're at the typewriter. And, 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 uh, uh, and, and librettists and, and choreographers. And you have an awful lot of people. And if you can get them all together, if, 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 if their sessions with their psychiatrist can, can be worked out so they can all meet right, right. together, you know, <laughs> then, then you have... Uh, I also tell playwriting students, never, go in, uh, never be, be psychoanalyzed. Never be psychoanalyzed? No, of course not. Have you ever? No. That's very interesting, so that, that whatever's in there, have it come out through your art. Yeah, because you see, too much psychiatry is still aimed at uh, adjusting people to society rather than to themselves, uh, which is, you know, inadequate. That's a, that's a profound thought. And um, anybody who's in the creative arts is both within his society and also standing somewhere outside of his society, to being able to observe. I mean, we all write plays because we want people to stop behaving the way they do and behaving the way we think they should. That's why we write plays. Every yeah. playwright writes a play for that reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, aside from so many people whose first plays are revenge plays, you know, killing their parents. <laughs> right. <laughs> you don't have a revenge play, do you? Uh, well, The American Dream was a pretty good one. Okay. <laughs> that was number three. What, um, what kind of reaction to your work pleases you the most? <sighs> Well, of course, intelligent response, um, patience, the ability to um, take the play on its own terms, not expect it to be something other than it wants to be. Whenever I go to the theater, I, I, I want to be startled and surprised, astonished, as Walter Kerr put it. Whenever I go to the theater, I, I want to see something like I've never seen before, had a kind of experience that I haven't had before. And the problem, one of the problems with our theater is so many people go to it saying, well, now, there's only one kind of play that I'm going to like, and it's got to make me happy. Right. And I don't want any problems. Life is tough enough. And, and, uh, and so uh, a lot of more serious theater is, is not accepted by majority audiences who are being very badly trained as to what the nature of the, of the art experience is. And the big problem here is a lot, that a lot of young playwrights we're interested in making a living. They begin to understand that unless they compromise and soften the edges of what they're doing and maybe write a little happier, uh, they're not going to make a living. Do you have any of your plays been compromised? I like to think not. There was only one experience I had in the theater where a play, an adaptation that I'd done, uh, got completely away from me where I couldn't control the producer, the director, and, and, and some of the actors. And uh, it was a, a disaster, a, re a really disaster. It was an awful experience. I learned a great deal from that. We, um, should, I, we should never, any playwright should ever think that he's learned as much as he possibly can about the wonders or the horrors of theater. I wanted to go back to the, to the, the, the question we touched on earlier about d directing, because mm -hmm. um, you, you, you have oh, directed. Yes, I didn't answer that That's question, all right. That's OK. I? But you answered it interestingly. Oh, no. then it occurred to me that nobody has the access to exactly what I saw and what I heard when I was writing the play that I do. And so why shouldn't I direct it as well? Why shouldn't I learn to be a director? And I, I finally learned to be a pretty good director. And did, did you find there were moments where you wanted somebody else to bounce something off oh, who of course, wasn't there? Sure. Oh, yeah, of course. It's awfully lonely up there if you're directing your own work. I would think so. Yeah, it can be I pretty lonely. So. And so for the most part, I've directed a, a lot of my plays, the world premieres, mostly in Europe. 
But um, I like to work with a director that I can really have a good communication with. And, I mean, certainly, I, I felt seeing the the play about the baby that it was so. I mean, it was I thought brilliantly directed. I mean, I I, I didn't know the play, but I, there was nothing in it that I didn't think was, was, very, was impeccable. Very, very nicely directed. It's the third production of that play. It was done first in London at the Almeida Theatre with Howard Davies doing a very nice production, and then I directed it myself at uh, the first American production at the Alley Theatre in Houston the previous year, and as a result of that, we put together this production. And, and are, 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 I mean, they're obviously related because the play is the same, but are they, were they physically very different? The stages were different. The Alley Theatre was a huge 800-seat theatre, much too big, 900-seat, much too big for the play, with an enormously wide stage, which demanded a different kind of staging. When we got to, to the Century Theatre on 15th Street, and we had this absolutely square opening, we needed a totally different kind of set. So the set designer and the director and I sat down and, and worked out something that would, would work for that particular space. But it sounds like you gave yourself the, yourself the director the biggest challenge to do that in the theater that was, that was too big for it. Yeah. Yes. Unless you didn't want anybody else to mess it up or did you? <laughs> I, don't re I don't remember why I did. I, I've directed a lot of the Alley Theater, a lot of my plays. Um, do, you, do you believe in the role of a dramaturg? <sighs> well... There are some good dramaturgs and there are some appalling dramaturgs. If a dramaturg is doing the proper dramaturgical job, which is to you know, you know, read things for the producer, you can't read, and, 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 and to make, make, check historical accuracy and things like that and try to get the right, to, the right to actors for stuff and all of that, fine. But if the dramaturg is there to make the play safe for the audience, and to try to lean on the playwright and the director to compromise, which most dramaturgs in our regional theaters seem to be doing, then I think they should be shot. But that also goes back to, to, to your obviously key notion that it starts with the playwright and the mm -hmm. playwright really has to be the boss. And I assume stand up to a lot of people who, have, who are either paid for their opinion or, yes. you know. We playwrights have in our contract for any professional production sufficient protections uh, nobody may change a word of our text without our permission. And if we do let somebody change a word in our text, we own it. No cuts, no changes without our permission. We have approval of the director. We have approval of the actors. And some of us get other, other approvals, the size of the theater and the designers and all the rest. We're totally protected. Our, our artistic integrity is... <laughs> nobody can protect you. There are some young playwrights, we talked about them before, mm -hmm. who've got a couple of crying kids at home. Right who will make compromises to get their play on, but they don't have to. You know, I think that, and that's probably something you as a teacher say a, a fair amount. Of. I, I warn them. I, I say, you've got to make these decisions yourself. We, you are protected if you want to be protected, but nobody can protect you from yourself. Yeah. Do, do you think your students can be, can be taught basic play construction? I think it can be taught? What is basic play construction? I'm not sure what that is. What, what, maybe what, it doesn't exist. I tell them... Sonata form, maybe. I, no, I tell them a definition of a play is very simply that which is more effective on stage than it would be anywhere else. It has nothing to do with subject matter. It has nothing to do with style. It has nothing to do with duration. Nothing. The inevitability of the piece to the stage. That's the only definition of what a play is. Now, have you, have you ever been called upon to do an adaptation of one of your own plays for the movies or for television? No. There are only two of my plays have been made into films. 
He was afraid of Virginia Woolf on a delicate balance, and in neither case was there a, a, a really a screenplay. Which means what? Which means that the play that I wrote was filmed. Right. Although somebody was credited. Didn't Ernest Lehman well, take the credit for Virginia Woolf? Well, he was the producer, Wolf? and uh, he may have written a couple of screenplays which weren't used, and he paid himself, I think, 350,000 bucks. And how much had you been paid? Uh, I don't remember. Not that much, probably. Uh, more. More, good. Well, as you should. Yeah, but I had to share it with my producers. Were you happy with that movie? Well, considering what they could have done with it, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, been, I've been promised Betty Davis and James Mason. And you've got Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Perkins? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's called Hollywood. But I could see it, it in those days that could have been a disappointment. But well, no, the, the movie was pretty good. I mean, the fact that there was no real screenplay which distorted my intention, that was nice. But I think that's, uh, that, that's important. But it, it, so you had, in your contract, you had, you had con control over that? No. You, so you, you have a play produced. Here's the difference in why, why playwrights are so nicely protected. When we playwrights have a play done, we are leasing the production rights. We retain absolute ownership of the play. When a, you sell a play to a movie, you're selling it. You're not leasing the rights. You are selling the movie studio permission to do whatever they want to with it. Which is why you get paid a lot of money yeah, for that. Yeah, right, yeah, sure. You know, have, your soul goes with it half the time. Well, I, But I've been lucky. I've, I've turned down many, many uh, movie sale offers because they didn't want to uh, uh, retain the integrity of the piece. And do you regret any of those? No, no, no. Mm -hmm. Life is too short. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, have you turned down productions of your plays, like the, 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 the production of Virginia Woolf that told you that you, it was really a gay, love, a gay story? Oh, I've turned down quite a few productions, sure, if I think the actors are wrong and stuff like that. You have to. There's your stuff out there. But so I, tell, I tell my playwriting students that. Every time you get involved with anything to do with one of your plays, remember, you take the credit and you take the blame. And, and don't put yourself in compromised positions so that other people are going to be able to do that. You've got to be brave enough to take your own blame and your own credit. Is there a, uh, a career to be made as a playwright? Can you be compensated properly? You mean economically? Economically. Well, they say that you can't make a living in the theater. You can make a killing, but you can't make a living. <laughs> Have you, but you've made a living. Yeah, I've managed to make a living. Uh, a killing? Uh, now and again. Okay. Uh, more a living than a killing. <laughs> it's interesting that those are opposite terms, isn't it? Killing and a, a living. living and a, and a killing. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's very interesting. See, wordplay. I never good. thought about that before. It'll be a play. <laughs> uh, it depends, you know, can you make a living being a playwright? It depends on what your standards are. <laughs> you know, if, I remember when, when my first play, The Zoo Story, was done, its world premiere in, in then West Berlin, right. in right. German. I was delivering telegrams to Western Union in New York, getting 48 bucks a week plus tips. And I quit that job and went to West Berlin to see my play, where it was very well received. Went back to New York, where the, instantly they wanted to do it off-Broadway. We opened, and I was getting 75 bucks a week. <laughs> that, was, that was wonderful. That was, God, buy a, Western Union. Yes, you know, I'm a playwright never, now. Never, never crossed now, my path again. That was, that was wonderful. But if, if you feel that you have to uh, make thousands of dollars a week, or, or you're, go west, or, or you're not going to be happy. Go out in Hollywood and write screenplays, yeah. Now, how on earth did Edward Albee's first play get produced in Berlin? Because when I wrote it, there really was no off-Broadway to speak of, and nobody wanted an hour-long, grumpy, 
<laughs> play by an unknown American about a couple of guys in Central Park talking and one of them ending up dead. But I had some very good friends who sent the play around uh, Europe and finally it ended up being translated and uh, produced in West Berlin on a double bill with Samuel Beckett's Crap's Last Tape, both in German. That's now, it, but you had tried to get it produced here first. Yeah, I didn't know much. I didn't know what you did with a play once you uh, finished it. I knew not very. I knew a lot about theater. I'd been going to theater ever since I was I was very young, but it never occurred to me that you were supposed to send a play to people or anything <laughs> like that. That's why I spent so much of my time with my young playwriting students, giving them great practical advice on on, on what to do and, and, and what to watch out for and, and how to how to market your play. Very important. That's great. So that, so that part of playwriting is art and part of it is business. Of course, yes. And you better know both. Yeah. <laughs> important point. Do you think because of the regional theater movement in America today, young playwrights don't have to send their plays to Berlin or, or take those kind of risks? Well, I was very fortunate that I did because, boy, the publicity that I got. Young American playwright can't get his work done in America, has to have it done in Germany and in West Berlin first. You know, that, that made my day. Uh, yeah, it's a lot easier. Um, there are a lot of regional theaters, 120 or 130 now, mm -hmm. the majority of which are interested in, in new plays, not terribly interested in very avant-garde ones right. or very uh, obscure ones. No, if a play is really too experimental or, or too tough or too serious, it'll be turned down just as quickly by the regional theaters as, as, and, as, as it will by, by, by the, uh, the criminals in New York. But um, criminals. The, uh, yeah, your friends, the yeah, they are, our they friends. Are, they are criminals. Uh, talking you, about producers more yeah. than anything else. Do you think there are there any fundamentals that that you? I mean, we, we've talked about a lot of aspects of, of what the young playwrights in 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 your classes are all about. But are there fundamentals? I mean, if a if a thirty eight set play comes in, or if a character, I mean, I well, I warn them that it's more likely you're going to have a production of a three character play with one set than you are with a 35-character play with nine set changes, just ec economically. The business kicking in. Sure. And you can find some way to, to avoid uh, destroying your chances of production. <laughs> find that way. But there are going to be some times when the play wants to be nine hours long, and that's the only way it can be effective. You take your chances. Have you written any nine-hour plays? No, no, I haven't. The longest one I've written was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which is just under three hours. But action-packed and... <laughs> I can conceive, however. I've, I've, I've seen uh, the, the No Theater in Japan, the, the Bunraku, the puppet theater in Japan, where the plays go on for hours, and I've been fascinated by them. But I assume that your comment about August Wilson earlier is that the kind of play August Wilson writes and what his, the characters and the situations, you as an audience member feel it, it may be best served if it were... Shorter. That, that, that's the I don't want to. No, I, I mean I don't want to be leaning on August here. I think he's a very, very good playwright, and, and uh, uh, he writes beautifully. It's just every once in a while I become a little impatient. I, I, I want to ask a little. That may be more about me than that's August. That's all right. You know, we're all that. We're all that way. Um, I, I was, I have to say, fascinated when I read about the notion that somebody had taken it upon him or herself, I don't remember who it was, to, to decide that Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf was actually a play about two gay couples. Um, you know how that came about, don't you? No, I don't. How did it? There was some movie critic, I think, writing for one of the news magazines that when the film came out, this is my memory of it, okay. I could be wrong, said, I, I admire this play a lot. Um, I admire 
uh, the characters. Um, I admire the dramatic situation. But I, as a critic, cannot accept it as an accurate portrayal of a heterosexual relationship. And this is called the critical fallacy, by the way. Right, right. And since I cannot accept it as that, it cannot be that. A critic. And also, since I happen to be gay and, and, and have been perfectly happy and, and uh, not, not making any secrets about it all of my life, uh, of course, it was a, a, a logical, Ill, an illogical assumption uh, for this particular uh, critic to make. But I know the time to time, and I know after that information was released, I started talking to people who were playing Martha. You know, I asked Uta Hagen, I asked Elizabeth Taylor, I asked various people, do you think you're playing a guy? You know, it never occurred to any of them. It had never occurred to me either. So and so, these few productions that people took what this critic's response was and decided, well, obviously it's a heavily disguised play about two gay couples, and tried to produce it, I closed it down, because it's not. Yeah, see, I, I, think it, I, I think it's a very important thing where the playwright, you know, you, you acknowledge that it comes from the subconscious. Mm -hmm. But once you write it, and for somebody to say, oh, well, your subconscious was actually saying something other than what you mm -hmm. thought it was saying is, is a little presumptuous. You know, uh, there was a drama critic in New York, uh, I will, uh, Stanley Kaufman, mm -hmm. who went on to, to, to lesser things, I'm happy to say, um, who wrote, a, a I thought, an appalling article in the New York Times, not mentioning the names of the playwrights he was d defaming, but uh, in which he said that our, our, our theater, the American theater, is being just dangerously injured by gay playwrights who are pretending to write about straight situations when they're all really writing about gays. It was, it was, right. it was, it was a loathsome and cowardly article. Cowardly, it sounds. Yeah. And uh, obviously he was talking about me and Tennessee Williams and Bill Lynch, uh, the three who... Uh, and so I talked to Tennessee about it, and I said, hey, Ten, did you know that you were really writing about guys all the time and pretending that they were women? Did you know that Blanche in Streetcar is a guy? <laughs> we, we had a big laugh over that. I, I think that's, I, I think that, <laughs> that's great. Um, question again, I, I don't want to harp on the, on, on the class, but do you outline plays? Do you, do you think there are structural things? I probably do outline them, um, but I reveal that to myself while I'm writing. I write my plays down on paper to find out why I'm writing them. Now, I imagine they're reasonably well organized in the unconscious, but I don't make long notes as to what, what, what should happen in scene three of act one. What if, what, what if I'm writing along and I get to act three, uh, uh, scene three of act one and I've changed my mind? Right. What do I do, look at my notes and say, oh, you can't do that because you've already decided what's going to happen? Okay. Here's an interesting thing. Uh, I also tell my students, write your plays in sequence from the beginning of the play to the end. Don't jump around. Because once when I was writing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, I was happily in the middle of the uh, second act, I think, and I got an idea for a scene for the third act. I always knew it was going to be in three acts. And five or six pages, and I wrote them. Then I went back and finished the second act, and a few weeks later started writing the third act. And I remembered, oh, you've written four or five pages here for the third act already. I went and I got them out, and I looked at them, I read them. Pretty good writing, I thought. Really nice stuff. <laughs> I tried to get the characters to do those scenes. They wouldn't. Where I had written it before I knew where they were. What was really was supposed to be happening in the third act? Did you toss it out, or did no, you put it in the second act? No, I threw it away. 
really. Yeah. It's but, probably it's probably in, in the theater collection of the New York Public Library somewhere. But but don't don't put it in the, your production. No, don't no, go of find it and have somebody. No. No. Because <laughs> really, that's the one thing I think. You know, when people like you put your papers in in the in, in the proper place, I yeah. always fear that somebody's going to go and say. Oh look! Here's the finished. Here's the missing scene from the third act that he yeah. always meant to be there. Well, that will happen after I die, not until because I yes, control but look things at this tape, well. people. And but I tell my students, write in sequence. That's a very important lesson. I also tell them, know your characters pretty well before you write them. I, I do a, a kind of author's version of actors' improvisation with my characters before I trust them to be in my play. Uh, if I know who my characters are, let's say, I'll take a walk and think up some situation that can't be in the play. And I will invent dialogue for the characters, in, put them in a situation that can't be in the play. And if they can handle themselves as three-dimensional characters in an improvised situation, then I know that I know them well enough to trust them in the play. And you, you, you will take a literal walk? You'll yeah. walk in the I mean, park? I, yes, I, I have a house on the ocean out in Montauk. Oh where I do most of my writing, and I get walk on the beach and have wonderful times. Oh, that's great. Have you set any of your plays in your house? or? Uh, no, but I've set several plays on the beach. <laughs> I, I think that's... Uh, Including one that you had something to do with called Seascape. I mean, I mean uh, Sandbox. The Sandbox. Oh, yes, of course. And I, I, my production was very good. I actually directed a production in school, which I think we paid the royalties for, with Whit Stillman, who's now a movie director, playing the young man. I realized <laughs> that the other day. But uh, do you... Do you feel, and this is a terrible question, and you're going to re reject it, but I'll say it anyway. I felt when I, saw, when I read the reviews of the play about the baby, I thought, oh, this is kind of Sue's story. This is kind of an arc, Sue's story to what I'm reading about this play. Um, do you ever think that this is sort of a, a play that you've written now is kind of a revisiting something from before, or these characters are talking to me and they haven't talked to me in 25 years? Or? I don't find any relationship between the two plays. No, once I saw it, I, you know, it's in the setting, yeah. I think. In the sort of Every play you write, I also tell my students this, should be the first play that you've ever written. You must never start, you must never think about yourself in the third person. Uh, you must not relate what you're writing now to what you've related before. Is that sort of the way to important itis if you're going to write? Yes, yes. You think about yourself in the third person, it's terribly dangerous. You probably should be writing every time you write a play, having come to the writing at full knowledge of what the history of theater, which you really should have, then you write the first play that anybody has ever written. You must put yourself in, in, in that state of creative innocence to, uh, uh, to accomplish it. I assume you also feel that, that, that playwrights should continue to go to theater today, whether it's good or bad? I think they should go to theater, but I tell, again tell young playwrights, if you're going to go see a production of a play, read the play, and then see the production. You've got to learn the difference between the, what a play really is and what the production of the play tells you. Quite often, there are different experiences. Sometimes better, sometimes worse. And when when is a play finished? The play is finished when the playwright abandons it. Can, can, do you rewrite a lot? I mean, no, do I, I don't. I mean, I do very few revisions in production. A, a couple of things, you know, that speech is too long, or I didn't really do what I needed to in that scene. I better add a couple of things. But no, I don't. I I, I wait a long time before I write a play down. So it's turning around. I keep it in my head for a long time until until it wants to translate itself into something coherent on the page. Do you have maybe one or two uh, two or more plays going on in mm -hmm. your mind at one time? Yes, and usually. 
and decide which one is going to... Varying degrees of, of, of construction, yeah. And whichever one is finished in the, in the head first goes onto the page. Are any of the, of the plays submitted to your class and the students, do, you, are they, do they ever come finished? Well, we all think we finished something. <laughs> I'm not necessarily sure that we ever, ever completely do. Uh, is, are there any playwright who has ever been totally satisfied with a play that he's written? I hope not. Yeah, I, I doubt it. Have you ever abandoned a play? I've gotten to a point where I thought those... I, I, I abandoned one, and I took parts of it, and I put it in a couple of other plays, yes. Oh, good. Recycle. It was a highly, highly stylized play, and the only characters on stage, as I remember it, were a rock and a large plant. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I, I thought it was wonderful, <laughs> yeah. A lot of, good, lot of good writing in it, but uh, it was a little static. <laughs> I love what you said earlier about, about the surprise in the theater. I thought that was the word that, that you used. And I wanted to ask... It was a short play, by the way. Well, that's right. I would go to it. I won't, I won't direct it. No, that career is, it was over. Um, difference between working in England and working in America in terms of the surprise factor of the, of the theater. Is, do, do you think that that's... English theater is getting more and more like American theater. It, it, it is being corrupted by, by the Broadway complex. And the West End of London now is, is turning in, in, into a, another version of Broadway where, where it's, it's all co success based upon commer commercial success. Fortunately, in London, they have the National Theatre, the Royal Shakespeare Company, the Almeida, the Royal Court, and two or three other uh, subsidized uh, experimental theatres where they do the very serious work. But the West End is turning very much into Broadway. But the, the, the feeder theaters in, in England are, are still there and strong? There aren't as many regional theaters. London is, is the theater center, but since it does have these theaters that I mentioned, right. most of the new good work comes out of them and then fans around England. And, and of course, we must remember that everything in England is, is no longer than a two-hour train ride from, from everywhere else. Everything is close to London. Do, do you find those theaters have come after you, or have you sent plays to them to be done there, print the premieres that have been done in those theaters in England? I remember the first production I had in London was The Zoo Story. Uh, they came to me, I think. It was a small theater. But is, there's a new production of yours being done. Uh, the premiere is being done by Almeida. Am I wrong? Or of what? A new play of yours, I thought. Uh, no, the Almeida did the play about the baby. I have to, uh, as, we, as we talk, I have two plays at the National Theatre, two short plays, uh, Marriage Play and Finding the Sun, directed by Anthony Page. Uh, nice productions, but those were plays that I wrote in the 80s. Do you think um, one-act plays are an important tool to learning how to be a playwright, or do you, do you think you encourage... Then, uh, then, then, then the two-or-three-act two <laughs> play is, is preposterous nonsense. A play should be as long as it needs to be, not a second longer, not a second shorter. It should be, if it needs an intermission, it should have one. If it doesn't need it, it shouldn't have one. That's, everybody should remember that Oedipus Rex is a one-act play. <laughs> That's, I didn't realize that. Yes, it is. But have you... Um, consciously written one-act plays, or a one-act play, rather. I have been aware when I've begun writing a play that this is probably going to be maybe an hour long or something like that, but sometimes I'm mistaken. They surprise you. Yeah. A play should be as long as it needs to be, and if, it, if a play, I tell this to my students too, if you've written a play to the proper length, no matter how long it is, it's not too long. Right. I saw a very, very interesting thing happen on Broadway a few years ago. A playwright that I respect a lot had a play done. This is maybe 15 years ago. 
And the critics said, this play is too long. Really, it should be cut. I went to see it. And I sat there. The play went on for quite a long time. And I came out of the theater, and I realized something. No, this play is not too long. It's too short. It got cut somewhere along the line. I did some research, and I found that about a half hour had been taken out of the play in the production process. And I read the full text. And if that had been done, the play would not have seemed too long. Now, Isn't that paradox interesting? It is. What did you do with that information when you discovered it? Uh, I filed it away, and I don't, don't make that mistake yourself, Edward, uh, uh, filing box. But did, did that playwright, did you ever have an opportunity to... to, to I, I talked to him, and he said, yeah, yeah, we did make a cut. And I said, you know, you shouldn't have. I mean, there, am I right in saying that there is a community of playwrights? I mean, you have friends who are playwrights, and oh, you sure. talk to each other. And I have friends who are playwrights, enemies who are playwrights. <laughs> well, then... <laughs> no. Uh, sure. But... Uh, we... we as, as a band, we do, we do want to help each other and, and talk to each other about uh, each other's work, to be helpful, sure. Do you have some that, and I don't want names, that you like to see your plays in an early state or some that you don't care what they have to... I don't let anybody see a play until I've finished it. Right. And there are no early stages. <laughs> but w once it's up and running, anybody can... Uh... Yeah, sure. I'm interested in, in the opinion then, but... While I'm writing it, this solo act, it's uh, this non-collaborative act, except the collaboration that I have from Chekhov and Pirandello and Beckett looking over my shoulder Good guys, all the time. good guys. Good, good guys. Um, uh, no, it's a solo act, and I don't show it to, to anybody until I think I've finished it. When it's produced, do you listen to the audience, and what do they tell you? When I went to West Berlin for the world premiere of The Zoo Story, uh, I knew what was going on on stage, though I'd don't know German, but it was a good translation. I knew what was happening on stage. I was sitting on a box way upstage left, and I remembered that I kept sneaking looks at the audience to see how they were reacting to what I had done on stage. And that probably more than anything else convinced me that I was a playwright. That's that I was right. interested in whether I was communicating and whether I was having the effect on the audience that I wanted to have. And you saw it. Yeah, I saw it. That's great. So do you have any final advice for a young playwright? Don't let anybody discover. If you are a playwright, and I also tell my students this, if you can find anything else in the world to do other than being a playwright, do it. Because it's a tough racket, and virtue is not its own reward. But if you are a playwright, it doesn't matter whether you're any good or not. If you are a playwright, practice it. Because if you don't, you're going to be an unhappy person. Keep practicing. Are you still practicing? Of course. I hope so. <laughs> Good. Thank you very much. My pleasure. The American Theatre Wing's Guide to Careers in the Theatre is a project of the American Theatre Wing and the New York Public Library's Billy Rose Theatre Collection, Theatre on Film and Tape Archive.